This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome one of my favorite doctors in the whole wide world. He is a physician and a cannabis researcher. Let me welcome the one and only Dr. Edve Damas. Welcome. Thank you. What, wait a minute. What happened to the like the applause that I, you know, I'm a big fan of that. But the crowd, yeah, the crowd goes wild. Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> I would say I miss you. I always do this. Long time no see. Oh my god! All right, so I played that because you had COVID twice, I think. Yeah. And and so I think it's important, you know. And I'm I'm happy that the the rap the, this this guy with that song, that banger, that that bop, mm-hmm. has come and remixed it to get people vaccinated. Your thoughts on where we are right now with the variants. I can't have you here without talking about what's going on with Delta yeah. and Sigma and Theta and all of the sororities and the fraternities that are involved in the, <laughs> in the virus. Please tell us. Well, as you know, you know, the Deltas ain't nothing to mess with. Those are my sorrows. So first of all, anybody that knows anything about black Greek life, don't mess with the Deltas. All right. But seriously, um, I think this time last year, we were doing a lot of COVID stuff together. And there was a lot of, you know, just, we didn't understand a lot of things. Um, and a year later, I think we've got a little bit more kind of, you know, security in what we know. Um, and then, like you said, there's this new kind of wild card thrown in. With the vaccination, I think uh, we're still lagging behind as a community, if you look at the data, but we are, at, uh, doing it at much higher levels. And if you listen to what people were saying early on, it makes sense because a lot of us in our community were saying, I'm going to wait and see. You know, it wasn't a thing about like, I'm never going to do it. It was just like, I don't know, I'm going to be, you know, a little bit more cautious. And, you know, you know, when we spoke about it, I was like, you know, that's up to people's, you know, that, that's your personal decision. So I think you're going to have some people that are going to be slow adopters because they are very cautious. And I don't blame them, right? It's a really personal and it's a real serious decision. So I think as time goes on, people start seeing like you can get back to life normal. You know, things are opening up. I think that makes a big difference, like to see things happening and um, the reality of it, right? I don't think there's many of us who haven't been impacted in some way, whether it's deaths or severe illnesses or you know, loss of income and that kind of stuff. So the reality of it has really hit us pretty hard. Now the, the COVID, um, you, you're not a long hauler. Uh, any lingering no. impact? So like the first time I got it, um, I don't think uh, it was really that bad. Actually, I can tell you it wasn't really that bad. I didn't even know I had it. I, I was getting tested regularly. I think I was getting tested like every week or every two weeks or something like that. And then I just popped up with antibodies, right? It was like, you know, so I was never sick. But what happened, that was back in early August of last year that I just felt real tired for like two months, you know? So I couldn't really work out. I felt like I was dragging or carrying somebody or something with me. Like uh, for like two months, I would say, walking up the stairs, I was short of breath, which is like really weird. So we didn't really know about this long haul thing, but I just felt like, man, Something's sucking the energy out of me. Um, and then I got over that in, in September. And then in November, that's when I got it. So, you know, some of the stuff they're talking about is how much exposure you got the first time, right? And so if you got a heavy dose, you probably have a more severe disease course. 
And if you had a lighter dose, so I think in August, I got a lighter dose, you know, it was kind of like maybe a passing thing. And then, you know, that's why I didn't have that, that many symptoms. But then in November, I really got sick. Now that, that was the worst, like the worst, worst. And that's till this day, I say this to people and they think I'm joking, but I'm like, I'm like real serious. Like avoid this, like the plague, like it is the worst. This thing put me on my back for like 10 to 12 days. It was the absolute worst. So, but when I got over that, the only thing I felt was a little bit of that brain fog, you know, like you couldn't, I couldn't remember things uh, as well. You know, I wasn't computing things as quickly, you know, and I found myself searching for memories sometimes. And that lasted for about three months, I would say, where I'd be like, man, I, like, I just can't remember this stuff, you know? So, but lucky for me, I don't like, I'm still working out. So I don't have that kind of thing. When I have the body aches, I didn't have any liver or I mean, any kidney damage, any lung damage. I didn't have any of that stuff, any of the clotting. Um, I didn't infect anyone else because I stayed super isolated. You know, shout out to all the Instacart and Grubhub and DoorDash people. No, I mean, that was like, people were asking me, oh, can I come do something for you? And I was like, I don't want to give this to you. Like, no, don't come here. I'm just going to order everything I need. They leave it behind my door. You know, I'll open the door and pick it up and close the door and that's it. You know? You're you're but, in Florida, uh, where you know your your mm -hmm. governor was never really taken as seriously, um, which we, we talked about quite frequently. Was pissing yeah. you off, um, and for yeah. people who don't know, Doctor Ave, former NFL player, for you know, uh, got into medicine when his mother was sick um, because he wanted to figure some stuff out. Um, is now yeah. in the cannabis space, uh, which which we're going to talk about today as well. You know, but so for you as an athlete, you know this, you know this. To, to be dragging and to have this infect you like this. I mean, I think your your regimen as an athlete has helped you get through it, I'm sure, because you didn't have a whole lot of underlying conditions. But um, the mask, no mask, now people aren't wearing masks. They weren't met wearing them in Florida anyway. Where do you feel? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Where, this where are you This place is this? wild. So obviously, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, Florida is wild. I mean, there's like a category of people they call Florida man. You know, so if somebody says Florida man, you know, it was like some outrageous, like who even would act this way? So Florida is wild. Um, our governor is a Florida man, <laughs> you know, truth be told, right? So there's a lot of wild stuff that goes on here in terms of the politics, in terms of some place, you know, you, if you think about Florida, a lot of it is swampland or was swampland at some point. So it was you know, pretty much isolated from the rest of the country. So people kind of like in isolation, figuring out like wild things to do. Um, the thing with the masks that, you know, again, I'll, I'll tell people this, right? Like if I could tie you down and force you to take a vaccine, I wouldn't do it. You know, I wouldn't do it. Real talk, I wouldn't. I mean, that's up to you, right? Like if you, if, if that's like your personal goal in life, it's like, I don't trust anybody. I don't want to do this thing, right? Me forcing something on you is not going to change your, your opinion. It'll probably harden your stance. Um, and I think those, those people that don't want to wear masks are along that same line. Like the more you go at them, their hearts are going to harden on that, you know? And so at some point you got to realize like, this is the playing field. This is how the game quote unquote is going to be. The rest of us, you don't really mess with those people. That's what I do. You know, I'm like, yo, I'm not really messing with you. If that's like your game plan and that's your MO and that's how you feel about things, you're not really my kind of person. 
right? So I'm gonna try to avoid spaces and places where there's a lot of you guys. How do we you know? know? How will you know? I mean, so there are some dirt demographic things that tell us, right? You know, so you know there are places that are highly Republican counties that you know that in those areas that they have low levels of vaccinations, low. Um, you know, compliance with mask mandates, no mask mandates, they even go the opposite way. So I'm not gonna go and have dinner at, you know, and that I already know what's going on there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I already know what the restaurant, know what the stores are gonna be like. I'll wait and I'll go someplace where I know everybody's kind of like, hey, let's do this in a safe, safe way as possible. You know, if I go, I and I have done this, I've gone to places and I looked around and maybe this is like the Brooklyn and me of back in the day, you get a feeling like, yo, this is not really my scene. So let's, <laughs> let's bounce. This is there. Like you go and look and be like, nah, son, nah, this is not a good look for us. And let's roll out. You know, I got two kids. I hang out with my boys all the time. And like, you know, you got to make those kind of decisions, right? And you got to leave the other people up to their own devices. Unfortunately, there's only so much of that you can avoid, but I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I ain't fighting with you over it though, and I ain't arguing with you over it. You know? Yeah, because just... arguing, you 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 exchanging um, air and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Yes. I try to yeah. I try to yeah. avoid you. This, you, this let me tell you, I I am so argumentative, but th this COVID has completely. You know, the thing that I would get in the fights with with people, I'm like, yeah. I'm thinking I'm going to have to exchange uh, air. Yeah, all right, you're yeah. right, Irve. It has made me completely. I put the church finger up and I'm out, which is totally not me, but um, COVID has done that. Uh, 866-801-8255. Hervé is here. Tanya's here. I want to ask you one more question about your, your area because I know you're in the area where, where the collapse of the building uh, happened. Now we're at um, uh, 42 confirmed deaths, 194 still missing. Uh, 46 people have been confirmed dead. Uh, we, you know, the other 194 are probably not going to mm. survive. And you got a hurricane coming your way, which is making this even more of a disaster zone. Your thoughts on um, that? Because, you know, I think about the, the caller that talked about, you know, people, the, the urban development and, you know, HUD and, and the local municipalities. They they failed these human beings. You know, they, they put profit over human <laughs> and the building collapsed, but it may not be the last. And unfortunately, those people that shouldn't have had to, to die like that. What are your, your thoughts, both of you? So, um, personally, I know people that live in the building. Um, so I knew a, a family that it's actually my ex-wife's best friends actually living there. So they were caught up in that thing. Uh -huh. um, the mom and the daughter wound up in the hospital at Jackson. They survived. Um, really serious injuries. And then uh, the husband, they haven't recovered yet. So, you know, personally, when I first saw it, I was, they said the address, I was like, I know this building, you know, like, I know, like, this is very familiar to me. So um, just the randomness of it, right? They had just built a brand new gleaming tower next door to it, maybe within the last year or so. Um, and so in, on the beach here, you got like these new buildings and you got the older buildings, they call them boutique buildings. And they have like legislation that stops you from building buildings a certain height. And so what that does is, you know, preserve kind of like the ambience of living on the beach. You don't have this over urban, you know, kind of sprawling towers. At the same time, 
right? These buildings kind of get old because the people that live there have been there for a long time. They're more cost effective and you get in these situations. Um, so in that building, from what I read was they had this assessment, this, this architectural engineering assessment a few years back and came up with a $15 million repair bill. And, you know, they have to do like a special assessment, $15 million is a big nut to crack. And in that, I think the money got involved in that, like, how are we going to pay for that? And then how can we slow play it? And then even though the, the people from the building next door that built that build gleaming, gleaming tower next door to it, which would just happen to be on the, on the border of Surfside and Miami Beach. So like you just go 50 feet and then you're in a different city and they were, so Miami Beach, you were able to build a little higher, you know, like those kind of constructions, you know, next to old buildings, even though those people deny it, a lot of people are saying that, you know, that the construction next door, people in the building were complaining that their building was shaking a lot. I think it's just a, like a bad kind of confluence of like the money and then the, the construction next door. And then, you know, having an old building that, you know, is on this really expensive real estate, but you can't build something new and bigger in its place. You know, like all of that, like you said, fail those people. And, and like in the middle of the night, be sleeping in your bed and something happens like that. I can't even imagine. You know, it, it's just like super, super, super sad. And I feel sad for everyone that was involved and caught up in it. And I'm sorry, um, again, for the loss of life. Um, I just felt like we don't, we don't have the same connection to hum, human beings that we should have. I don't know how, anyway. Uh, Dr. Hervé is here. Tanya mm. Pinkins is here, of course. Uh, you can follow him at Damas Hervé. You can follow her at Tanya, T-O-N-Y-A Pinkins, P-I-N-K-I-N-S. Uh, all right. Cannabis expert extraordinaire. <laughs> Brought you here to talk about Shikari. Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. Mm. Former, former athlete uh, yourself. She today, it was announced that the Olympic uh, U Team USA will not be adding her, not even to the relay uh, squad, which she was eligible to perform, right? Her, mm -hmm. her suspension Correct. would be up. Let's talk about that. Can you stick around? Let's talk about that when we come back um, because, yeah. we are, you know, we're up against the clock. But, I, you know, I want to ask the question, you know, and I think this goes the same for, you know, when we sent to somebody to jail and they t served their time, why do they still have to check a box? If the suspension was 30 days, after she's suspended, she should be clear, right? You don't keep punishing mm -hmm. somebody. I don't understand what this is. Does America not want to win? She's the fastest woman on your, you know, period. She's the fastest woman in America right now. Y'all going to lose to Jamaican when I say y'all, because I don't feel aligned <laughs> to what's happening right now because it feels very un-American. We're supposed to send mm -hmm. our best and brightest. She served her suspension. She's eligible to p perform on this relay team. You're not letting her because of optics, because, oh, she had an illegal substance. This is the height of hypocrisy, but it speaks about America, and I want to talk about her. America, not Shikari. America, mm -hmm. when we come back, Hervé, you're sticking around. Dr. Damas, we're getting into the cannabinoids and the and the THC and the LABM and all the, I'm just making up letters right now. Yeah, uh, I was like, which one is that? Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've, we've had several spirited conversations off mic, on mic about um, cannabis. Um, to, to see an athlete, and, and some would say she threw, it away, threw her career away because she knew the rules. As an athlete, Dr. Hervé, what are your thoughts on what happened to Shikari Richardson and, and is America handling this, the, the Olympic Committee and those folk, are they handling it correctly? 
obviously given my background and, and like what I do for a living, right? I don't think that they handled it the right way. And as a matter of fact, I, I think the, you know, on multiple levels, A, obviously the fact that this is still a banned substance because last year they actually took CBD, which is another cannabinoid. They took that off the banned substances list, right? So it's another cannabinoid that you can find in cannabis or marijuana plants. They took that off of there, right? Um, so, you know, but they kept THC on there. And some of the claims, if you read some of the stuff that they wrote as to why they suspended it, why THC, which is, um, I think this is the question Tanya had earlier, um, like, you know, what is it that got her into trouble was the fact that she had THC in her, in her system, which is tetrahydrocannabinol, which is the, the part of cannab cannabis, like the part of the plant that gets you high. That's what people know it for. It does a whole lot of other stuff, but in enough amounts, it'll get you high. And so that's really what they're legislating, right? That That's like the whole law, everything is written about the fact that THC can make people high and that's a bad thing. So De that's define really high though, this. define define what is high. So, Right. So that means, you know, somewhat in, 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 in high enough doses or large enough quantities that can alter your cognition or perception a little bit. Right. So can so alcohol. So can, can cigarettes. Correct. Tobacco does that. Correct. Too. Correct. So can opioids. So can a lot of things. Right. And so if you go back to when they first started prohibition policies back, you know, the first uh, piece of legislation that was enacted against marijuana, which was the Marijuana Prohibition um, and Tax Act, 1937, right? That was based real, really on racism. That's all it was about. It was about, hey, we had some some prohibitionists who had just gotten out of, you know, the alcohol kind of prohibition <laughs> time, who still felt that they needed to control people's behavior, and you had, you know, immigrants, Mexicans, and you had minorities, blacks, who were smoking a version of cannabis which is different. Than what we have now is lower THC levels is close to what we would call hemp now referred to as hemp um, right. and they use that to fear monger you know it's like reefer madness and that you know there was like literal campaigns that if you let you know if you let you know cannabis proliferate in the, in the, in the country and I'm not even making this up that it would it would cause white women to start cavorting with black and Mexicans like that was like an actual thing that you know it was okay to say that to 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 drive up fear you know in the open and say hey man if you let your daughter smoke weed she gonna wind up hanging out with a bunch of Negroes and Mexicans you don't want that because you know what happens that was straight up like the campaign so you, you brought up hemp though I want to really yeah. talk about hemp because hemp was in competition with cotton Correct. And hemp was something that the British required farmers to grow on this soil to pay a tax. So mm -hmm. they, they, for hundred, you know, hundred years, they were growing hemp and using all the parts. It made the ropes, and then they made that act in 1938, which was to criminalize, you know, this this extra Correct. thing that put the hemp farmers out of business, to the, to the winning of the cotton farmers. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a good confluence of a bad confluence, like a terrible group, you know, it's like, a, what's the opposite of the Justice League? I don't know, I wasn't big, it was like the, who knows? The police. The, and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, for for our Black superheroes out there, right? So they, um, 
it was kind of like the the cotton industry, uh, the wood and paper, because hemp was a big source of textiles, right? So all your paper, your clothing, your fibers and things that you would get from cotton, wood and all stuff could be made from hemp, still can be. Um, you had some from the pharmaceutical industry who were selling the analgesics, Bayer aspirin being one of them, right? Because cannabis and cannabinoids were like commonly used for a lot of things, migraines, menstrual cramps, you know, you name toothaches. That was like a thing people had in their medicine cabinets. So it was no big deal. So you get all these people who had a vested interest and the prohibitionists who want to legislate people's behavior, you know, and the racist. And you get all of this together. That first act made it really hard to do business in the cannabis space. So it didn't completely, you know, make it illegal, but because it was taxed so onerously, especially physicians, this, I mean, cannabis was part of the physician's desk reference, which we don't really use anymore because everything is digital. But back in the days, you went to a doctor, they had this gigantic book of like all the drugs and, you know, all this stuff. It was in there. It was like part of the medicine stuff. It just became bad business. You know, it was just like, yo, it's bad business. And then it was Nixon that put the, the nail in the coffin in uh, 71, 71 or 73 with the uh, Controlled Substances Act, which then scheduled it as category one, scheduled one drug, which means it had no medicinal or research purposes whatsoever, right? And so what But we else know that's it? not true. We know that's Correct. not true. I mean, the, the researchers in Israel, they traced it all the way mm -hmm. back to Egypt that cannab cannabis cures epilepsy. It is an, It helps with the, the side effects of the cancer drugs. I have always mm -hmm. felt that this policing of cannabis is about the fact that you cannot make money off of it because people can grow it themselves. Well, well be, you know, so- Behold, what's that book? Behold that, the Pale uh, Horse? Is that the book? Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Like that should be standard reading, even though reading, sure. Yeah. So it did two <laughs> things too, right? It also at the same time, right? You have to understand that you had people coming out of the hippie age, and you had this real conservative, you know, um, seat of power in the Nixon administration, looking at ways to 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 kind of like, uh, and there was a civil rights movement, looking at ways to break up power and to get, you know, kind of criminalize behavior that wasn't that big of a deal. So now you had an opportunity with the Controlled Substances Act to put marijuana in a category with some other hardcore drugs, and now you could penalize people for it. And then that led, you know, to the war on drugs, which then you could start, you know, criminalizing specifically black and brown people for small amounts of this, right? And then you could feed the prison pipeline, you can kind of like, you know, blow that thing open with black people and feed bodies to prisons and put them back into jail. You can do a lot of things. So it was really weaponized. So like I said, going all the way back, it's always been weaponized to punish, you know, people like us, black people, we've always suffered the brunt of it. And as you said, Tanya, now there's an opportunity to make money from it. And, and they lie when they outside. say that it has no value. <laughs> they lie because yeah. the National Institute of Health was funding all of that research in Israel from 1962 that they know that giving cannabis to infants helps them if they have cancer. And yet we still don't do that in America. We do not use this thing that can help children and prevent their suffering. So what do we, we do? We do have, yeah. So we do have, for example, uh, so going back to that research thing, there is, um, I think it's a University of Mississippi or Mississippi State that was allowed to do research and grow cannabis in the US, despite the fact that they had this law. 
Um, there's actually a dude that gets cannabis. He's still, I met him, interesting, older white dude that still gets US government like, like uh, joints delivered to him. Like, this is the wildest story when you get into this space. So there's a lot of kind of like, wait a minute, you're saying one thing, but this is not the truth. Even what the IOC said with regards to Shikari suspension, right? In their notice, they said that cannabis has been known to be a performance enhancer, used as a performance enhancer, right? So this is what they said. And in, in that same statement, they said, well, there's no, you know, medical evidence of its use you know, of its benefits, right? So it's like, well, how do you know this thing is a performance enhancer, right? How could you possibly know? And in what way is it a performance enhancer? I could tell you guys that, right? Like, so if she was an archer, right? Or if she was in one of those things where people get in trouble for using things that calm their nerves, right? So some people use beta blockers, which are prescribed, they're used for blood pressure medication, but they also help people with anxiety out. People who are doing sports like target sports, like rifling, whatever they call that, you know, you can't take those unless you have what's called a therapy, therapeutic use exemption, right? So that means I have some sort of condition, I get prescribed medication by my doctor, and if I test positive for this, my, I'm using this because I, I got an illness, right? And so people have used that for a number of reasons, for anything from hormones, to, you know, like I said, beta blockers, to anxiety medications, like she could have got a, a Xanax and got a therapeutic use exemption. But because cannabis, marijuana, Schedule 1, you can't get a therapeutic use It's still use Schedule 1? It's damn yeah, near it illegal federally. How is it yeah, still a Schedule 1? Well, <sighs> because they, there's two roads. Well, there's two things about that, right? So A, you know, you can go through Congress, right, which they've, yeah, the, the House has, met, you know, passed a number of, you know, acts in the last couple of years that get, you know, kiboshed in the Senate, right? But actually, Biden, and very few people know this, Biden can actually act unilaterally. He doesn't need Congress to do this. He could actually, with the help, with like uh, the Attorney General and the Secretary of Health and Human Services, right, they can actually make that happen, right? You know, they can do, he can literally do that on his own, which was a campaign promise from, you know, from Kamala and them, right? I, I think what they're doing is holding that, like, you got to hold that out to drive people to the polls, right? Like, you don't want to give everybody everything, right? So it's kind of like, you know, kind of like the Second Amendment thing for conservatives. They're going to come get your guns, even though nobody's coming to get your guns, right? They could use like the weed thing and be like, hey, 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 hey. If you vote aside, if you don't vote for us, these guys are going to take away your weed. But they can literally do this uh, and get it done. So it's just, you know, not having the political will to get it done, but he could do it. So I asked you about endogenous cannabinoids. Yes. In our, mm -hmm. in our system. Let's, let's talk about that. So endogenous cannabinoids in your body. Interesting things. Oh, interesting story. I'll give you guys some more history. War on drugs. Um, Nancy Reagan, just say no, uh, early 80s, 1982 or something like that, right? So like, oh, just say no. So they're hell-bent on proving the fact that, you know, marijuana, weed is like the worst, a scourge of humanity. They give funding to researchers, right, to prove this thing. So these people go in and they start like, how does this all work? They find out in 86, I think it was 86 or 84, I might be getting my ears off, that there's a, a system in our body called an endocannabinoid system that our body literally has receptors for cannabinoids, which then 
ask the question, why do we have, you know, receptors for this stuff, right? And we'd have receptors for a lot of other things. We have opioid receptors, we have nicotine receptors, right? So we do have receptors for things. So why do we have these things? And they find out that we produce cannabinoids. So it's like a eureka, you know what I'm saying? Like our body makes this stuff, what do they do? So we've got a bunch of these cannabinoids that we actually produce and they do a number of things in our body. When we consume the plant, um, those are called phytocannabinoids, P-H-Y-T-O cannabinoids. And they do a number of things that are similar to what our body makes, right? So if you consume them in different amounts and variations, you can get a feeling that is just like what you feel when you feel really happy and you see somebody you love, right? You get that feeling of pleasure, right? You can get that same feeling like you just had a wonderful workout session, right? Or if you want to get high and go a little higher, you just take more of it in different amounts, right? So that's the high. Going back to what you were saying earlier, Karen, like, you know, the, the, the high feeling that they're controlling. But cannabinoids, depending on how you take an amount, it, it differs. They're anti-inflammatories. They're pain relievers. They help you with sleep. They help regulate mood, depression. But when they test you, what you test positive for are metabolites of phytocannabinoids. They don't test you for your endogenous cannabinoids. So that means you consume the product and your body metabolizes it. And then what's excreted is what they say, oh, you tested positive for, right? So when you're, I'm sorry, but so when that happens, they give you a certain amount. There's no research to corroborate why that happens, right? They give you a certain amount and they say 15 decagrams. I can't remember the number. Once you're over this threshold, you cannot compete. Doesn't say that this threshold causes you to do something. It's just, this is the number we came out there with, right? Which is similar to what the NFL had done recently when they changed the threshold to test positive for theirs. It was kind of like, where'd you come up with this number? And they were like, ah, we're going to decrease the threshold. Why? Because less people are test positive. But it's like, well, why are you <laughs> testing people? Well, why are you testing people? And the test doesn't test for in acute intoxication. What that means is if I test positive for THC, it doesn't mean that I got I'm acutely intoxicated. What it means is that at some point within the last three weeks to a month, it was in my system, right? And so it doesn't mean I used it right now. It means at some point in the last so again, is that a performance enhancer? Right. How can you say that? You so, and so that's where we are. Yeah, we're here. Shikari's not going to be in Tokyo. Um, there's nothing that's going to be done for her, but it, we should be vigilant with our uh, Congress people, particularly our senators, to pass federal legislation to legalize mm -hmm. cannabis, uh, marijuana, THC, and expunge all of the records of anybody that's ever gone to jail for it because it's ridiculous. Yeah. It won't help this young lady. She'll never win a win a gold this in this Olympics. Nope. But but hopefully in the future, no athlete will have to have this uh, keep them from their their dreams. And this is a, a travesty. But it should keep us very <sighs> vigilant to stay vigilant to to put yeah. that pressure. Um, and thank you for yeah. that. And speaking of history. Um, you know, when you came on, I said Sac Passe because you, of course, are a brother mm -hmm. that hails from the great island of Hispaniola, known as AD, IT. And today mm -hmm. we see that the um, president of IT uh, was assassinated. Now, a lot of people are 
have a lot of things to say, but I want to get some facts and I want to talk to you about that. Um, you and of course, I'm going to welcome in uh, a journalist who will be also talking about what is going on in Haiti right now and why did uh, President Jovenel Moise, um, Moise. Moise, Moise, sorry, Moise. lose his life? Why was he shot dead? Um, in his private residence overnight, um, and what your thoughts are. As well, on this Wednesday, uh, we're joined by Tanya Pinkins, my partner in power, Dr. Hervé Damas, my other partner in power, this Wellness Wednesday, and joining us for the first time, reporter for the Haitian Times, uh, communication and marketing director for uh, The City, which is a nonprofit newsroom. She's doing all of the things, and she's here today. Let me welcome Vanya Andre. Welcome. <clears throat> Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming through. And you taught me how to say Aite. I was yes, saying Aite. 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 Yes, thank you. Which means, Hervé, land of many mountains. Land of many. Correct. Thank you. I'm learning. I'm learning. Um, so I woke up uh, about six. I woke up at 530 and I saw the news. People, different people on Twitter. Before it hit the news, none of the news outlets had it. Human beings in Haiti are... IET were talking about the assassination and I was like, oh my goodness. And then one person posted something that let me know that this president might not have been very popular. So tell me, tell me what happened. Give us the news, uh, Vanya, and then let's talk about what it means. Sure, no problem. Um, so I found out around 5 a.m. this morning um, via WhatsApp, Twitter, um, that there were armed men that stormed the president's resident, um, assassinated him. The first lady was wounded. Um, there were a lot of conflicting reports early on whether or not she had also succumbed to her injuries. Um, the latest reports now are saying that she was um, flown out of the country and is in a hospital, possibly in Miami where she's receiving treatment but is in still in critical condition. Um, and, you know, the, the situation in Haiti right now, it's one that's filled with a lot of fear and, and tension. Um, although Jovenel Moise was widely unpopular, um, there were questions around the legitimacy of his actual election and his presidency. And then within the past year and a half, there have been strong calls for him to step down because there's some confusion on web, when his mandate actually ends. Um, and yet, despite all of this, I, I find even I'm talking about and now I have goosebumps that everyone was very surprised, um, shocked. We didn't necessarily see this coming, um, although there will there will be some that will say that, you know, this was going to be inevitable at some point. Um, there have been rumors in the past that there have been previous attempts um, of assassinations for the president. And all of this just really coming to head today. And the overwhelming sense and what I'm hearing from on the ground in Haiti and just members in the diaspora is that, you know, it, it's just really disheartening and it's sad because there was a moment in time over the past few years where there was a lot of hope that Haiti would be able to build back bigger and better because of all of the outpouring of support that we received after the earthquake. And I was a part of that. I felt that a little bit, you know, between the years of like 2016 and 2019, it was a good time. We felt like the country was moving. People were visiting. There were conferences happening. And then in July 2019, all of it kind of came crashing to a halt um, when gas prices um, 
more than doubled um, overnight. And it was just really downhill from there. You had a series of scandals that plagued this president from Petro Carib, um, which was money that uh, a loan essentially that were given that was pretty much all embezzled. Um, and, and right now the feeling is just that, you know, whatever progress Haiti had made within the past 10 years, we've taken a hundred steps back. Mm, Moise, um, Moise, 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 Moise. Yeah. Uh, he had been governing by decree since January 2020 uh, after the country failed to hold legislative elections and uh, the legislators um, mandate had expired. And uh, many people thought that uh, opposition leaders that he wanted to uh, return uh, IET to a dictatorship that wasn't sitting well with folk. Um, the airport, of course, uh, Port-au-Prince, uh, Port-au-Prince, um, Toussaint Louverture International Airport has been closed in the wake of this assassination. Uh, there's a lot of of things happening and things said, um, and I just want to run it by both of you, and I'm imagining you both have family members there, uh, but during his time as office, there was, of course, a lot of violence, political unrest, uh, along with a lot of poverty. Um, IET right now is the uh, poorest nation in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, and this is a nation that literally changed the trajectory of America, changed the landscape of America. Uh, the, the revolution that happened in Haiti reverberated throughout the New World and shifted and changed the way a lot of things happened, including we got the Louisiana Purchase. Uh, but it also put mm -hmm. Haiti in debt uh, because you were on the hook to pay back <laughs> for lost labor. For freedom. Yeah, you, for, for, for having the audacity to be free. And I say in many ways, you've yeah. been punished ever since. This this nation Correct. has been punished ever since. And not to mention Trio and what happened with your brothers on the other side of the island, um, that mm -hmm. island that you liberated. I feel like those of us in the diaspora, we have to stand in, not just in solidarity, but Haiti has to win because Haiti's victory um, first of all, long overdue, but it to me is a flashpoint or kind of a fulcrum for the rest of black America, mm -hmm. black, black everywhere. Mm -hmm. So we can't sit and allow this to continue in the poverty part. Absolutely not. So you both have family members there, Irve, you still have family members? Yeah. Yeah, we, we, a bunch of family, we still have homes there, you know, so a lot. So just like I don't, I'm not on WhatsApp anymore, but I know what she's saying. Like early, you you'll get these notifications because everybody uses WhatsApp over there. You get these notifications. I started getting the notifications early in the morning too. They were text messages and stuff like yo, and I'm like, what are people? You know, when you get those text messages, you know something is like you get a whole bunch of these things. Something bad is happening. I would say this, like going to what you said what's happened with Haiti, given our historical significance in terms of the fight against the colonizer, is a microcosm, like you've seen this happen from the slaves on the plantation when there is like, you know, you got to break a slave, like that one is out of control. And they're like, we got to make a lesson to let all the other ones know that this kind of behavior is not accepted, right? We can't let this ideology or philosophy spread, which is what happened, right? We can't tolerate this. So yeah, physically, you know, we were able to beat them at their own game and fight and win our independence by being as brutal as them, right? Learning to be as brutal and kick them out of the country, but they came out and elevated the game. It was like, financially, we're going to punish you for the rest, right? We're going to isolate you. We're going to make sure that you're unable to maintain any sort of 
you know, trade agreements with other nations. You won't be recognized for long periods of time and you'll have to pay us reparations. So imagine paying the colonizer or the enslaver reparations for your own freedom for, you know. And so if you look at it throughout history, Haiti, IT has been that kind of example that the colonizer uses. And they did this with, with um, what country was it in Africa? The same thing that had a rebellion and kicked out all the colonizers and then they, they isolated and was like, yeah, you don't do this. That's basically what they said. You don't do this, right? You guys, this whole thing that you're going to, you know, determine your own role in life, your own plot, your own way, that's not going to happen. And, you know, people do not recognize the historical significance of that in that it's not even taught in our schools. Like, you know, as a Haitian kid growing up in New York City, I didn't learn about the Haitian revolution, Haitian independence in school. I learned it from home, you know, and I know a lot of people who are like, what? You know, this happened? Like, yeah, homeboy, that happened. Like, we did that thing, right? Like, there's another way to go about this. And, you know, to think that we've always, they've always meddled in our affairs, in our governmental affairs, they've always been behind. So, you know, this assassination, although, you know, there was this kind of overarching sentiment that, you know, President Moise was was unpopular, right? For you to think that this was like a simple operation, like, ah, you know, you don't assassinate the president of a country just like that. The same way that they kicked Aristide out of the country way back in the day, right? They had some mercenaries that were training in the DR and came through Haiti. You know, even here, people were saying these guys showed up and say they were DEA agents and had the the um, his guard stand out. Now imagine you're in your sovereign country and you're the president's security, and somebody would say to you, "We're U.S. DEA agents," uh, and you would stand out. So just the, like the the thought that that would be something that would be okay, like I don't care who you are, right? And that you would go in, assassinate a president of a sovereign nation, and then leave. And then there was rumors, and she she probably tell you a little bit more that these dudes were speaking Spanish, or some of these dudes may have been speaking English back and forth, that like, there's a lot of meddling going on in our country. And I think every Haitian has gotten to a point, it's just like, leave us alone, like get off our backs, you know, like let us figure our own way out, you know, like stop meddling in our affairs, stop, like get off of us at some point, like give us a break. So that's my personal sentiment. I speak to a lot of my brothers and sisters the same thing. Like, we're tired. Leave us alone, man. Dr. Irvay, so, uh, you know. <laughs> let me reintroduce you. Dr. Irvay Damas, you can follow him at Damas Irvay. And we have uh, Vanya Andre, who's here as well. Vanya Andre, you can follow her at Vanya, V-A-N-I-A Andre, spelled like Andre, underscore on the Twitters and at The City NY. Uh, and Tanya Pinkins is here as well. Um, as as Dr. Irvay is talking about that, I'm, I'm also very well aware that the United States supported, right, President Moise. Um, and um, I, I always, often think about the Duvaliers and America supporting, mm-hmm. um, America supporting the Shah of Iran, America supporting Saddam Hussein until they didn't, America supporting Osama bin Laden, literally, with money, guns, training, until they didn't. And, you know, it's, it's kind of a conflicted position to be an American and understand America's reach and her power and what she does uh, globally and, and, and the meddling and the insertion. Um, and and I, 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 I struggle because, you know, we pledge allegiance to this flag. 
at the exact same time, we're black in the world, and we understand how the blackness is oppressed everywhere. Uh, Vanya, how should we be seeing this in America's participation or role in what happened to the president of IET? You made a great point um, a few minutes ago, um, highlighting the dual struggles, right, of, of a Black person, whether it's here in America or globally, um, especially tied to Black Lives Matter, and how, you know, Haiti's independence really is a, a message that should be taught globally. And the reason why I bring up Black Lives Matter specifically is because I remember last summer seeing at many of the protests, whether it was in Brooklyn and Queens and Manhattan, Haitian flags. And these were Haitian flags that were being held up by people that weren't Haitian. But they understood that like Haiti, that flag was like the first symbol of what Black freedom and having sovereignty over your own body, your own country, your own nation, what that represented. So for me, you know, I'm Haitian American. I was born and raised here. My parents were born in Haiti. I, I have that dual identity. And for me, you know, the, the most important thing is for the U.S. to understand that one, yes, Haiti is a sovereign country and that they should not be meddling in our affairs. But I, I do have to say at the same time that us as Haitians, we kind of don't know what we want all the time because I hear two narratives. I hear on one side, leave us alone. You know, we're a sovereign country. Don't meddle in our electoral process. And then at the same time, when things aren't going our way, you know, we ask for the um, U.S. administration to back us up in some way. So for example, there are calls for Biden um, prior to this to help get Jovenel out, you know, because he did not agree to that. It's like, okay, well, then don't, then don't meddle. You know, um, right now, there are a lot of conversations about what are Haitian elected officials in the U.S.? What are they going to do? How are they going to use their power and influence to influence what's happening in Haiti? You also have a large share of the diaspora that wants to be politically and socially involved in the country, but really doesn't have the ability um, and the country doesn't have the infrastructure to allow that to happen. Um, so, you know, I think for those in the U.S., they should really be looking at what Haiti is going through as first as, as a great example of like what happens when the powers that be, you know, have so many layers of control and, and layers of, 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 I guess, like integration in a, in a country, in a black country that goes back historically so far, where we can say that this was a racist thing where they did not want to see a black country of former slaves succeed. And this is just all of it kind of coming full circle. You know, we've had different iterations of this, you know, between slavery, between imperialism, neocolonialism, all of this has kind of um, compacted together together to create a constitutional, economic, and social crisis within the country. I mean, we're at a point right now where literally people in Haiti don't know who technically is the leader. Like, What's going on? We have several versions of the Constitution out. Um, the, the, the head of the Supreme Court that should have been the next in line to, um, to lead the country, he passed away from COVID on June 23rd. Um, the, new, the new prime minister that Jovenel Moïse had appointed last week, um, he has technically, he has to be approved by parliament. 
but Jovenel has been running by decree. So there was, there's no way for parliament to approve him. And then the current prime minister, um, in order for him to be able to say, yes, I am the de facto interim leader of the country, that also re requires approval from parliament, which is not in intact, in is not in session. Um, so it, it's just a lot of chaos. And again, we see just a full culmination of different crises and what happens when the institutions that are meant to govern a country are not sound. And then that's what we see happening in Haiti. I would, I would like to, to, okay. No, I was just gonna- No, I would like number. to add to that. Okay, okay, give out the number. 866-801-8255. We're on the Karen Hunter Show. We're talking about IET Haiti uh, with Vanya, uh, excuse me, Vanya Andre, Dr. Hervé Damas and Tanya Pinkins. Go ahead, Dr. Damas, Damas, Damas. So, yeah, you know, just to follow up on, on what, I love it when you say Dr. Damas. No, just to follow up on what she was saying was, one of the things that, like, has happened when, when I say, and, and she's like, there is two factions or people that feel like, you know, there's too much, we do need help, and others that feel like, leave us alone. When I say from the leave us alone thing is, stop exploiting us, right? Because we've had, for example, the UN troops were in the, in Haiti for about 20 years. They just left last year, whatever, right? So you had UN troops occupying our country for over a decade or more, right? Then they leave, there's this vacuum. We're back the same place. We, we are, we're back in the same place that we are, right? We've got, you put in a dictator, right? Then the dictator, the people can't take it, take it anymore. The dictator's forced to leave, and now you put a bunch of puppets in, right? We have an earthquake. You know, all this aid pours in from across the globe, over a billion dollars in aid. What happened to that money? A bunch of these people from outside the country came in, sucked all that money dry. What's there to show for it? Nothing. There's literally nothing to show for all the money that got poured into Haiti, right? And it wasn't, some people will say, oh, it's the Haitians that embezzled it. It wasn't, we didn't have access to it. A lot of that money got funneled through agencies and things. By the time it got to us, man, you know, people were getting tents and, and military ready to eat meals, the MREs and stuff, right? But there was no, you know, building of the infrastructure. We're talking about over a billion dollars in aid. So, you know, when I say that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, you come in and instead of helping us, right, you make the conditions worse you meddle or you do things and it's like, hey, I'm gonna take advantage of these people. I'm gonna misuse them and mistreat them, right? And that kind of stuff, it's, it's just, just regularly going on. And that's the kind of stuff like, listen, if you were to come to help, come to help, but don't constantly use us as a way to take advantage of disadvantaged people who don't have a voice. I'd rather you not come here and let us build from scratch and you come here and suck all the blood and juices out of us and leave us withering to die, you know? What's next? What's going to happen? Uh, Vanya, uh, Andre, you, you talk about there being this void. Um, so now we have chaos, right? Um, there's just this vacuum. Uh, you have assassination. Where's the due process? Who's going to, you know, like, how how does this country get back on or get on track? What needs to happen next, in your opinion? Um. I, I'm honestly not sure. You know, 
everyone right now that that's what's adding to the sense of fear um, is that we don't know and it's because we, like I mentioned we have a constitutional crisis because we have different versions of the Constitution out that have competing processes about who is next in line of succession we have a political crisis because there isn't Parliament um, in session uh, Jovenel was running by decree for the past several years um, we have a social crisis because the people are fed up you know there there's violence in the streets the gangs have literally taken over the country and and what's next is no one knows what everyone is sure of though is that the next few days the next few weeks is sure to be volatile as there's power struggles as people try to figure out who is going to be the next de facto leader. Um, we have the current prime minister saying that it's him, but technically right now we have the country um, is under martial law. Um, so what I personally think needs to come next, and, and this may be an unpopular opinion amongst, um, amongst my, my, my Haitian friends, but I think there has to be some type of leadership and, um, and direction from the US. Uh, the Haitian elected officials that are in this country and there are Haitian um, appointees within the administration that have their ear as close to the president as possible to help to try to shape what the policy is going to be moving forward. And then also we, we have to also remember that the gunmen have not been apprehended. We do not have a clear understanding of who is responsible for this. You know, there are several um, um, theories from whether it's DEA agents, whether it's some um, um, mercenaries tied to Colombia due to, to drug smuggling, if it's an inside job from the national police, there's there's no accountability and part of what the next step looks like is making sure that whoever assassinated the president and attempted um the, the attempted the assassination also on on the first lady they need to be held to justice and i think that's a role that the u.s can play in helping with this investigation and there is a haitian u.s haitian caucus in our congress uh they need to come together i think i think that that might be good what of the uh billionaires that live in haiti that have uh, armed security and you know there's a tale of two cities while it's the poorest nation in a, yeah. in a western hemisphere there's some very wealthy people living uh, you know off the fat of the land uh so to speak yeah. the, and and Hervé, you said you have you have property there like how how do you navigate these spaces and and what do we do with with that folk that are uh, not really from IET who are there uh you know living lavishly yeah. on the beach well, so anywhere that there's an opportunity to exploit people, they're going to be exploiters there, right? Because, you know, that's what they do. So you do have a lot of foreign nationals. You have, you know, people from Middle East. There's some Syrians there. Um, there's a big Taiwanese influence. They came over a while back and started doing their thing. You start mining for um, precious metals. And so... You know, people don't even know that, that we're sitting on like a gold mine of not gold, but like precious metals that are used to make semiconductors and other parts for computer chips and processors and things like that. That's in Haiti. There's oil that's recently been found there that these guys want to get their hands on. So there's, there's, you know, it's always been a place where people have found, you know, whether it was the land being real, really fertile, which is what made the colonizers first start dropping people off there and stopping there because of all the natural resources there, whether it's the ability to grow animals and crops there, um, to now finding all these things. 
those dudes like the status quo, right? Because they're insulated from it, right? They're power brokers. And, you know, I often argue with my, my, my Haitian friends, right? About the fact that like, hey, you know, don't say our country is like so, I mean, we live in the US, but there's a lot of stuff going on in the US. There's gangs running the street in the US, right? There's like drugs running rapid. There's certain cities here that's completely unsafe. You would not, that we just had, they just try to overthrow the government here. I mean, let's not joke about it, but right. they literally just try to overthrow the US government here, right? So yeah, you know, our country has a lot of issues, but these are not unique issues. And a lot of them have a lot of overlap. You will find a similar type of power dynamics, people who have vested financial interest in keeping certain people at a certain level because it profits them and it benefits them. They can pay their money and their access allows them to create circumstances. So even if the country is in turmoil and you see this is what happened in the US during COVID last year where the richest of the richer got rich and rich and rich, right? Well, people were out of work and waiting for stimulus. Everybody else was wait, waiting for stimulus checks and unemployment checks, right? Well, the billionaires like Jeff Bezos is up worth like $200 billion now. I mean, it's a similar thing. Um, there are parts in Haiti that are still doing well, right? So Port-au-Prince is the, the capital city, right? It large, densely populated, poor infrastructure. There's a lot of crime and violence there, but there are places out, you know, Cape Haitian, Okap, which is where my family's from, is not, you know, kind of like that. And there's some places in the provinces that are not like that, right? So, you know, we also have to be careful like, to not throw, you know, throw this blanket statement um, but those dudes, and, and as she mentioned, was like, there are theories that this could be an inside job, that it could be the power brokers, those, those like, who shot Kennedy, right? Like, we still okay. know who shot Kennedy, right? Yeah, so, don't you know. We, no, we don't. Okay. All right. Let, yeah, let's try to get. Yeah, all right. No conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, freaking Oliver Stone. Oh, Lee Army. Dumbass. Stop it. There's a magic bully, bullet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jahan in Queens. Uh, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. I want to get you in before we have to go. Hey, Jahan. Hey, Karen. It's Johan. Johan. Right. Okay. A long time listener, first time caller. Welcome. But um, I keep make it quick. Uh, I'm also Haitian. I'm from Ocop. So shout out to the doctor. We're from the same place. And um, you had made a statement about what we can do. And I feel like if we look at DR, over the last like 10 to 15 years, we've been as, as black Americans, I'm from Queens, we've been traveling back and forth to DR as tourists and they've been able to make money and increase commerce and their GDP has grown tremendously. Yeah, well, most so, of that is sex, sex trade. First of all, I'm gonna say that out loud. Um, a lot of a lot of brothers. I'm gonna like say you. I haven't been there. Yeah, I'm okay. Say you better you better there. watch yourself. <laughs> you know, and and there's something I'm to be not. said for for that being the reason. Thing. But he's right. You know, a lot of us go to the Dominican Republic. Uh, a lot of us go there for things uh that we can't get here, like young girls uh who will sell their bodies who look like J Lo and they love that that and Rio which says that oppressed people do things, right? And and at the end of the day, we're still talking about oppressed people. And I hear what you're saying. You're right. And I, I you know, I've been talking to Dr. Damas about scheduling a trip for us to go and spend time at Labadee and other places and really start to let people know how beautiful this island is and how beautiful the people are. <sighs> we, got, we got a lot of work to do, though, Jahan. Um, let me let you get the last word. We got a minute. Uh, sorry to cut you off. I just need to say that. Johan. 
Johan, Johan, is he still there? Did he hang up? Hello? You hear okay. Me? Hello? Yes, finish. Yes. Finish. I just want to build on what you said. Every time I travel, it's not just um, traveling and paying a ticket. You come out, you pay a cab driver, you buy a painting, you buy food. Every dollar you spend helps the economy move. We can't wait on the American government to help us and help our people. We need to get out there and get in front of this. That's all I got. I agree. I agree. And that's everything. So let's 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 make a commitment. Uh, yes, yeah, Sister Vanya, Sister Vanya, Doctor Irve. Let's let's make a commitment to like really plan something when the, when the temperature goes down, and let's let's be very intentional about how we move with with the island of it it. Uh, and know that Dominican Republic has been complicit in the destruction of that other side of the island for whatever reason, whether they think they're better because they have some Spanish blood. We need to start talking about that too and calling them out. What Trujillo did was abominable. Mm -hmm. And it is, there's a legacy that goes on and we have to talk about that too. And if you don't want to read the history books, read Juno Diaz. You know, if you don't, if you don't like uh, fact, read some fiction that has some fact in it, but we got to know the, the truth about what has been going on there, we have to know the history so we can move forward and actually get some things done. This didn't start with this assassination. It didn't start with Aristide. It didn't start with Papa and Baby Duvalier, Papa Doc and Baby, du- Baby Doc. It started, I think, in the 1700s. And I, I think it started there. But it started when they grabbed the Africans and dropped them off there and used that island to break people and, and a host of other things. Yes, that brutality is baked in the soil. And it is the responsibility of France America, Great Britain, and all of the Dutch and everybody that participated in this evil thing called slavery uh, to uh, make it right as well. And they need to give France, uh, IT back their money from France. Money is worth. Pay us, pay us what you pay owe us. Back. All right. Yeah. There's we a good, go. There's a good book. Go. What's the book? Quickly. It's uh, by uh, a Haitian author called Anthony Fermin. He was the first black anthropologist it's called On the Equality of the Races. Sometimes it's written as On the Equality of Man. It'll give you a great breakdown of like the history of Haiti, how the U.S. was involved. It, and it, it's a great book. Okay. Oh, we'll we'll tweet it out. Let me say thank you, Dr. Irving. 